Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast Series, and my name is Carl Vradenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode number 77, and the topic for today is workplace challenges. Now, this is another version of the podcast series where I take up listener questions that were submitted largely on the Facebook page, which is available at facebook.com slash life habits. And this last while that fed up to this particular episode, there were a number of topics raised and questions asked all having to do with workplace challenges of a sort. And so I thought I would do this particular episode addressing a number of your questions with regard to that. So to get started, let's also go through, as we almost always do, a series of insightful quotes that get us thinking along the right lines and think about some insightful ideas to apply to this topic of workplace challenges. The first is by Ambrose Bierce, who said, Speak when you are angry and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. Tom Crum says, The quality of our lives depends not on whether or not we have conflicts, but on how we respond to them. Henry Ford said, Don't find fault. Find a remedy. Scott Ginsburg said, Listening is not waiting to talk. And finally, Anais Nin said, We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. So let's get into the questions that you submitted. And as we did the last time we did one of these sessions, I will be using pseudonyms rather than your real names, given the sensitivity of the topic. And you can let me know if that isn't required at some point, but I'd like to play it a little safe on this, given the topics that we'll be talking about. The first question came from Mary, who wrote on the Facebook page, I'm not sure if this has already been covered, but what about a podcast addressing differences in generations and how that can affect communication? For example, I am currently doing some freelance work for a client who is considerably older than me, and I'm having a hard time relaying to her. I am really tech savvy, and it is hard to relay to her what I'm trying to say without confusing her. And also she brings it up a lot that she knows so much more than me because she is older. I'm not sure if this is relevant, but I think it could help some listeners when trying to communicate effectively without feeling the disconnect because of age. So Mary, great, great topic, and I think one that is really quite pervasive and would be of use to many listeners in addition to yourself. So you're really talking here about dealing with differences of various sorts. In your case, not only the one on age and experience level, but also even differences in technological knowledge. So I think the approach in all of these cases is to start first by understanding the differences and understanding that other person that you're speaking with and where they're coming from, what their perceptions on life are, what level of experience they have, and maybe even what some of their anxieties, you know, may be as well. In the case of technical differences or 
differences in knowledge of technology, which often also correlates with differences in age, have to realize that have to step back and modulate or modify the way that you speak to somebody that doesn't know as much about a topic as you do. And again, that relates to any number of topics, but it's often the case with knowledge about technology. I think if you step back and realize that you should use terminology that would be generally known and don't speak as fast, and essentially, you don't want to use the term dumb down, but basically make the terminology you're using such that anybody could understand it even if they didn't know as much as you do about it, I think is a good practice anyway. Again, as I said a minute ago, it's also relevant to any number of other situations where you have to see the situation from the other person's point of view. If you see it from their point of view and see and communicate with terminology and words that make sense with regard to their knowledge, I think it'll be a a win-win. You have to be careful, too, that some of the time when you know more about technology in particular, it's kind of, you know, fun to demonstrate how much you know about it. And that doesn't serve this situation well. And the other perspective from the other person's point of view can also be that they're really kind of sensitive about this issue. They may well be worried about their own job with somebody else coming in that knows this information so much better. And so they may already be somewhat defensive about this. So if you were to come in and, you know, just speak on the topic as you would with somebody else that you know that knows the information as well as you do, they may well have a negative reaction that has little to do with their actual ability to understand what it is that you're saying, they may simply be rather defensive about it. And that's the same thing with experience level and age. I think a lot of the time when you're dealing with people that are different from one another, it really requires both of the people to take a perspective of wanting to work together and not simply just spout out whatever it is that they wanted to say. So in cases like age differences, for example, Realizing that there's huge benefit in having you as the younger person there is critically important to the success of the communication, the relationship that you're developing, and the organization that you work for. All those end up being significantly enhanced by having the new, fresh ideas that you, Mary, would bring to the table because you are new to the topic or new to the organization and have a lot of great new ideas to impart and have learned a lot of things, as you mentioned, that the other person that you're working with, you know, doesn't have. But on the other side of the relationship here, people that are older and that have, you know, some more experience, maybe not about the particular technology you're speaking of, but in general, other experiences in life, that too can be really valuable to the relationship, to what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And so while it may appear that you don't see the value necessarily in every sort of engagement, I think it really is there and that there will be instances where that kind of value and that kind of contribution of experience would be important. But you point out as well that it's the, again, mechanics of the communication 
that really are causing the difficulty where she is just saying, oh, but I've got so much more experience than you. And by default, by being older, her ideas are worth more than yours are and the like. And that, of course, is something that is contributing to making your experience with her more negative. But I think you can also counter that by saying and reinforcing, especially early on, that you do really appreciate that she has lived longer than you, that she has more experience than you, and that you might want to suggest that you probably have some interesting ideas and the like being new to this. And wouldn't it be great if we could work together and that you could contribute some of the new ideas, she could contribute the experience that she has. But let's both be a little more open in working together as well. I truly believe that if we can have effective communication in a, an environment like that, that you'll have an incredible win-win, like I say, with your new, fresh, exciting, passionate ideas, and also with somebody that's been around for a while, their experience as well, as long as you both put some effort into making sure you can actually work together. And the start of that is to recognize what each of you has to offer develop that relationship by being aware of where each of you are coming from, and then on a regular basis, I think reinforcing where the contributions are coming from as well. Again, it's relevant to a lot of different experiences that you may have and differences that you may have in a work setting with others, but it really is the theme of understanding the other person, where they're coming from, embracing and leveraging the differences as well, but doing it very tactfully so that you can develop the relationship so that you'll also have the contribution from each with regard to content and knowledge and skill and experience. The number two question came from Lance, who wrote in a Facebook message, Hi Carl, I am a Filipino who lives and studies in Japan. And following your podcast advice, I believe that I'm headed to live and work in New Zealand by early next year. I sent you a message a few days ago before mentioning that I've been listening to your podcast for more than two weeks now, and I have a question which I have a hard time answering. The question is, how do I know when to trust a person and when not to trust a person? I tend to trust everybody 100% and then feel devastated when they do something contrary to what I expect from a person I trust. I found your podcast while looking through advice on how to deal with difficult people. But your podcast on this uh, doesn't exactly hit the spot. If you have a previous podcast that addresses my concern, I hope you can guide me to the appropriate podcast. I hope you can address the topic on trust. So thanks so much, Lance, for that question. And again, it's one that pervades many relationships that we have, everything from you know friendships to family relationships to work ones. But work ones in particular, I think, are important to consider from this issue of trust because maybe more so than in other types of relationships, working relationships can often have multiple purposes and interests that aren't necessarily always aligned. So on the overall topic of dealing with trust, I would suggest, Lance, that you be cautious at first until you know the person better. You mentioned that you trust everyone 100%. I think the advice would be most useful to be a little bit more cautious the first time you meet somebody at work, for example. Understand where they're coming from. Uh, learn from others what that person is like. As I mentioned to Mary as well, try to take the other person's point of view 
regarding the topics that you're you're dealing with. You know, what are their motivations? What are their goals? How have they dealt with other people? You may hear from others and learn more that this person that you're dealing with is absolutely 100% reliable and, and you can trust them significantly. You may also find that, you know, while they're being nice to you, they really always have ulterior motives, that they have a particular path in mind with regard to their career and, you know, working with you and getting you to do certain things is just their way to get to where they wanted to career-wise or something. I mean, those are the extremes, obviously, but you don't know when you've just met a person, you know, what they're going to be like. And so, again, don't rely on the assumption that everybody's 100% trustable, uh, but instead be a little more cautious and learn more about them from your own experience as well as from others before you really start to divulge more information. You might have ideas that you wanted to contribute. You may have particular suggestions on how to improve what it is that's going on in your company, and that may be a sensitive issue if you were you know, perceived to be somebody that is sort of criticizing what's going on and the like. And there also may be other details that you know about with regard to other relationships and the in the company uh, that are also ones you have to be a little more careful about who you communicate those with and to and so i think be cautious and then build trust or let that other person essentially earn your trust rather than starting off with the assumption that you should be able to trust everyone now having said all of that I'd also suggest that you can't protect yourself 100% from ever getting hurt, right? Or else you just never talk to anyone. <laughs> um, that's the real way to make sure that you don't get hurt at all. But that's obviously not practical. So it's all a matter of getting the right balance to make sure that you are being cautious, building or letting the other person build trust in you, and then divulging and being open with the other person sort of commensurate with the level of trust that they have earned with you. So I hope that helps you in your approaches to meeting new people at work. The third question comes from Malena, and she says, Dear Carl, would it be possible to cover workplace bullying in particular in a podcast, especially the aspect that in most cases, the target is the one that leaves the workplace in the end and that there are rarely any consequences for the bully. So there was an episode on bullying. It was a fairly recent one, uh, Life Habits 75, Malena, that I would suggest that you listen to if you haven't already. Also, you're asking very specifically about workplace bullying and that previous episode dealt a fair bit with more general instances of bullying and particularly also bullying in the school sort of situation. So let's deal with the workplace one, which in many respects is somewhat different. As my theme tends to be on many of these topics, Milena, I think it's important to stand back and try to understand what's actually going on, understand the bullying. What is he or she getting out of it? Why are they doing this? Often, when you step back and see what it is that this person is doing and not necessarily just seeing it on the surface either. See what their motivations are. See what rewards they get. See who rewards that behavior in the workplace. You'll get a sense of what is making the situation the way that it is. 
you can then, once you've understood the situation better, and you might well have deeper insights than you did initially on how this whole thing is working, you can try to talk to the person that is doing the bullying privately, if possible, and sort of engage with them. You know, at, not at a moment where it's right in the middle of a bullying session, but if there's a possibility to suggest you go out for a coffee and talk on a number of other topics, but also try to get onto this one, I think it's important to make sure that it's not an explosive situation that doesn't involve other people, because a lot of the time bullying happens because it's the reaction of other people that the bully is really after. You can often appeal to you know, their own humanity when it's a one-on-one conversation and where you're not defensive, where you can really just have an open sort of conversation. So I would suggest first see if you could do that and basically also take the point of view of describing what other people, and very importantly yourself, are experiencing as a result of their behavior, how they react to it, how you react to it can really be helpful in making the situation, you know, more personal, making the situation such that the bully could empathize with or have a greater empathy with the people who he is directly affecting, he or she is directly affecting in the situation that you're in. Now, if dealing with the bully yourself isn't a possibility or may not be advisable and you want to make sure that you watch out for your own kind of safety here as well. But if it's not advisable in your case, I'd suggest that you seek out a trusted superior that you can talk with. And the key word there is trusted. Just the fact that they're a superior doesn't necessarily make them a trusted superior because a lot of these situations and organizations are more complex. But a a senior sort of manager or somebody that you really can trust, have the conversation with them so that they're aware of what's going on in the organization and that they typically will have more power to address than you do. So that makes sense to take that step. And if you did actually reach out and try to resolve, but was unsuccessful in doing so, dealing with the topic directly with the bully, you want to mention that as well to this trusted superior showing that you've actually done something or really, you know, taken the situation on and that you're not just, you know, ratting on somebody else is, I think, important to, you know, mention as well. Now, if the problem is a little more serious than that, I would suggest that you go to the designated official responsible for these sorts of things in your company. can often be somebody in the human resources department, for example. And if the topic, because you didn't really talk about what type of bullying this was, but there's certain types of bullying that's very serious and may actually involve, you know, breaking laws. And of course, you then need to go to the police with that. So again, depending on what the type of bullying is, there's a whole range there of ways of addressing it and ways of making sure that it doesn't stay hidden, as you were intimating or suggesting as well, Milena, making sure that key people that should be aware of what's going on are aware and that the bully themselves has an opportunity, if appropriate, from you to change their you know, behavior once they know what effect they're having on others and if you can diffuse that situation. Or like I said, it might also be really serious, in which case you may want to seek out even more 
help as well, including law enforcement. The fourth question comes from Jeff. Jeff writes, hi, Carl. I have all your podcasts, though I confess I have not listened to them for a while now. But when I do, I always find them helpful. I continue to work on my communication skills. It has been pointed out by, of course, my wife and a couple of my coworkers that sometimes I am short or snap when asked a question that I feel requires a lot of thought and the person wants an answer at that moment. I find people of an aggressive nature is when this happens most. And in my line of work, it has a certain amount of stress and I must make many decisions as I am in management. Any thoughts on how I could curb this? I consider myself to be a very outgoing and friendly person, but occasionally this issue pops up. So thanks so much, Jeff, for the question. And we did have a episode in the podcast series a long while ago. It was actually Life Habits 11 on the overall topic of interpersonal communication that might be worth listening to. And also another one, Life Habits 17 on anger management. That also, I think, is relevant. So what I would suggest in cases like this, and very specifically your case, Jeff, is to anticipate the problem situations and then prepare for them. There are, and you have, a a deep understanding of the types of situations that trigger the reaction that you want to lessen the frequency of or in the intensity of. And so think through what situations would cause the behavior and ready yourself with an appropriate reaction that doesn't involve reacting right away with whatever's on your mind. That's usually the problem that you're, you know, you get yourself into the situation, even though you know those situations cause you to blow up and, you know, react directly from the heart. So what I would suggest, and we've talked about this before in the podcast series, is when something like that happens, a situation, somebody comes up to you and asks you a question, they want you to respond right away, you want to give it more thought, I would suggest you don't respond right away. I mean, don't leave the situation, but don't say anything. Use the pregnant pause. Bite your lip quite literally if you need to. Take a breath to plan your calm response. I know of some people that have been incredibly successful at this, and it disarms the situation, it diffuses the situation, if you don't respond right away, but you're still in there in the moment. So you give it some thought, you buy yourself some time, and then you make sure, especially if you've taken a deep breath, as I suggested, because that, as you know from previous podcasts as well, tends to calm you and get you into your parasympathetic nervous system. And also listen to what the person is saying, not how they're saying it. They may well be saying it in an angry way. They may be coloring the whole situation with the way that they're saying it, but they may actually be saying something that is really important, especially if you're in management and you are expected to deal with situations like this. Think more about the content of what they're saying, understand it rather than, you know, any stress that they may may be introducing into the situation. And it's usually their emotional reaction that gets you all roweled up and causes you to blow your stack and respond in the way that you don't like that you respond. I also suggest that, 
And this is the case a lot of the time when we have a situation that we can anticipate. We don't like the way that we respond in the situation and we'd like to improve upon it. Again, you need to practice. You need to think through the situation in the way that you would like to respond instead of the way you are now. And then go practice that. Maybe with your wife at home, that she role plays the other person involved. And maybe they even act it up even more to make it even more you know, stressful. And then you should practice what your reaction should be. And when you've practiced it a bunch, in anticipation of that situation, the next time you find yourself in the situation for real, you've now got a practiced response. You now have this series of pausing, taking a breath, and then calmly responding because you've practiced it that way. I can't reinforce enough that we often expect things like interpersonal communication skills to somehow just appear and that we're really good at it. Whereas we have other things like our golf swing that we don't assume that you'd immediately know how to do effectively. You want to practice and you get additional input and then you practice again and your whole time playing the sport is all about trying to improve it. But we somehow expect when it comes to things like interpersonal communication skills that we don't need to do that. Well, I totally disagree. And I think we can be really effective in our place of work if we identify the challenges that we have and improve and then practice and improve that skill over time and as a result be that much more effective. The last question comes from Anil, who says, one of the challenges that comes to my mind is communications with diverse work environments involving global team members. And Anil, thanks for that. We did talk again, a fairly early podcast episode on the topic of dealing with a flat world, dealing with the reality that many of us are now working in workplaces that involve people from all around the world more. And that was episode number 12. And I'd like to suggest, in addition to what we talked about in that episode, that you take time to understand the diversity, to understand everybody on the team, where they're coming from, and how other global members of the team that you're on are different from you. Try to be conscious of their, you know, their holidays and their special customs, and very importantly, time zone differences as well. And as I think I mentioned in that uh, podcast episode as well, try to stay away from very culturally or location-specific topics when you speak, or even the style that you speak. It's often the case Well, somebody will say, well, our government will come up as a, as a phrase, or our country. Well, what's our government or our country if everybody that's on the conference call is from you know, five different countries. That's being a little too ethnocentric. And so what you want to be conscious of is not assuming that one of those countries is so much more important than the others. It's also really important to speak more slowly and to avoid culturally specific topics, terminology, and phrases. For example, uh, and I hear this a lot when we're dealing with um, worldwide teams where somebody get in talking about the most recent game, you know, in terms of sports. And, you know, that's not something that anybody else in a country far away is aware of or cares about, quite frankly. 
also have to watch particular phrases that, like, for example, there's a, a typical British saying of saying, that's brilliant, and meaning that's actually, you know, good, <laughs> by and large. But somebody that isn't familiar with the use of the term brilliant like that will literally think it means that they just did the best work and they're going to get a Nobel Prize soon as, as a result of it, when in actual fact, it's just a, a particular nuance and the particular way of using language that um, that some people use. And the other use of uh, terminology and language is, you know, using a phrase like, well, you know, I want to have our team do so well at this, I want us to hit a home run with this. Anybody that's in like North America will know what hitting a home run is. But again, countries outside of the North American continent uh, will not necessarily know what that means. And so you're not only distancing yourself from, you know, other cultures with terminology like that. You're also just not communicating it as effectively. If you really wanted to have that be a expression or that you wanted to communicate that you wanted to just do amazing things with the team and just that they just absolutely do the best work that they possibly could in their uh, environment. Using a term like uh, home run, they don't know what that means. You've just missed the opportunity to communicate effectively. So I think there's an interesting set of challenges in dealing with people from all around the world. And I had made the comment as well in that previous episode that, you know, you don't need to bend over backwards, I think, on all of these topics to constantly try to be sensitive to all aspects of dealing with a global world audience and world team, because there's just a lot to take in. But I think that it's important to go way beyond what most people do in the topic of dealing with diversity. And that's diversity in a global sense and diversity in a variety of other ways as well that we talked about in other topics and the questions that were asked earlier that we dealt with in this podcast episode as well. We're not the same. We are all different in a variety of ways. And in order to communicate effectively and work effectively with other people, which is really what a large part of what working is all about in many organizations, in many industries. It all comes down to understanding the other person well, understanding their motivations, understanding the environment that they live in, understanding them better, and then tailoring your communication to getting and communicating effectively, and then tailoring the communication, factoring in all of those details that you now know about the other person and modulating what it is that you say as well to make sure that that is effective. Okay, that's the five questions that a number of you had submitted on this topic of workplace challenges. I hope that advice was useful to you, both those of you who submitted your questions and, of course, all the rest of you as well, because I think the questions that you all asked were of general interest to many of you as well. I did want to encourage you all to continue to send email to lifehabits at gmail.com or go over to facebook.com slash lifehabits and ask questions, contribute ideas, submit links, have conversations with fellow listeners of this podcast series as well. And last but not least, please do continue to provide ratings and comments 
in iTunes from the various countries that you're in as well. Thanks so much for your interest in this podcast series and improving yourselves. We'll talk to you all next time and bye for now.